Well, today we're in the book of Joshua again, and uh, we're gonna we're going basically a chapter uh, or so every week. Today we're going to really look at primarily chapter 10. Chapter 11 is just a summary of what happens in chapter 10, so we're not going to address it directly. But today I want to talk about the enemies you face in life. The enemies you face in life, and they might not be the ones you think. They might be something a little bit different. But I I think, first of all, you have a personal enemy. Secondly, you have a forgotten enemy. And third, you have an unfaced enemy. A personal enemy a forgotten enemy, and an unfaced enemy. I don't know if you remember the movie Creed. It was, a, it was a takeoff on the Rocky series. And there's a scene there where Rocky takes Creed over to a mirror and he has him look in the mirror. And he says, you see that guy? You gotta beat that guy. Look in the mirror. That's the guy you gotta beat. If you can't beat that guy, you can't beat anybody in the ring. And it's such a great line, such a great concept, isn't it? Because the greatest battles you face are personal. You're facing these battles where sometimes that little voice is saying, you're not adequate. Who are you anyway? You're just a sinner. And then you hear that voice of the enemy slamming you going, you're unworthy, you're unworthy, unworthy, and you're just going... Oh my gosh, but I re- then I read the Bible and God talks about me being created in his image and, and, and that, that God loves me and that God has set me apart unto his kingdom and all of these things. And there's always this, this, again, this tension that goes on in our world. So let's go to Joshua chapter 10 and verses four through six and look at, first of all, this personal enemy that we have. So they went out and they and all the armies with them, as many as the people uh, of the sand, as sand and on the seashore in a multitude, with very many horses, chariots, and when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom and fought to fight against Israel. Okay, now, now here, let me just set up the scene here. Remember, they have, they have come out of Egypt. They have wandered in the wilderness 40 years, this nation called Israel. They have crossed over the Jordan. They have battled at Jericho. Then they battled at, uh, at Ai. And then they've, they've encountered this group called the Gibeonites who deceived them. And remember, they are in a war zone. The battle is raging all around them because they're going in to possess the land that God called the land of milk and honey, the, the land that God had given them. And all of a sudden, you know, when, when they're starting to get some victories, they're starting to see a little bit more confidence now, all of a sudden these five kings surround them, they come up against them, and they realize that the battle is not going to end. You see, if, if you look back at your life, the battle doesn't stop on planet Earth for any one of us, does it? It just kind of subsides. People say, I don't know, look what all's going on in the world today. There's always been a lot going on in the world. I mean, just take the history of mankind. Just take World War I, and then you've got the Great Depression, then you've got World War II, then you've got Korea, then you've got Vietnam. I mean, just this is the history of man. It's, It's in contention with one another. But God wants us to understand something. Look what he says to Joshua. Do not be afraid because of them. This is at least the third or fourth time that God has said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Why do you think he told him that? Because he gave, he became afraid. Because he was fearful in his nature. There was something in him that was weak but became strong in the the power of God. You see, Paul said, sometimes I glory in my weakness 
that the power of God might be sufficient. Amen? You see, it's when I'm weak, then I, show, then I lean into dependency on God, and then God becomes my sufficiency. When I'm self-sufficient, I eliminate God from the program, and I think I can handle it. I've heard people say, you know, I don't really pray for little things, I just pray for the big things. Well, you're missing out on the big picture of what God wants to do. He wants us in this constant fellowship, relationship, where we're talking to him about everything, and we're bringing everything to him, the Bible says, by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. Why? The next verse tells us that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard what? Your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see, this is the reason that we walk in in this dependent relationship with God is because we're not sufficient. So what are some of those personal enemies we face? I think the, the biggest one is fear. We've gone through a season of a couple of years where fear has been on every doorstep. We fear this global pandemic, which turned out to be anything but a global pandemic. Then we fear whether we can even shop and go to restaurants and what our kids are gonna be doing. And then we fear for the very lives of our kids that are so, uh, so pressured right now and, and have been over this time in the systems that, that, that mankind has created to try to, I, I really believe, control and manipulate the emotions of, of mankind. There is also that enemy of the unknown. There's nothing more fearful than the unknown, is there? It's kind of like, well, I don't know what I'm facing. And, and then you spend your life kind of worried. Have you ever worried about what won't happen? <laughs> you know, I, I used to tell my kids growing up, and I tell myself it still all the time, you know, 90% of what you worry about won't happen. 10% will. But with the power of God, you can manage the 10. But it's true. I mean, just think about everything you've worried about over the last year. How much of it really happened? Now, some of you say, well, I, 100% of it happened. Okay, well. These things do happen, all right? But typically it's not, right? But what happens is my mind, you see, it's my mind, my will, and my emotions. That's the pattern of how things work in our life. I begin to think something. My mind chooses either fear or courage, and then the emotion follows. So it's mind, will, and emotions. People say, well, I'm just so emotional. No, you started with your thoughts, If you can't control your thoughts, that's why the Bible says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because your thoughts run everywhere. I mean, just crazy things, right? Let's talk about the forgotten enemy, the forgotten enemy. Joshua chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. And at that time, Joshua came, and he cut off the Anakim from the mountains. Now, I want you to just kind of make note of this, the Anakim, the sons of Anak. We encountered them back in the book of Numbers where Joshua sent out the spies, and when they sent out, or, or Moses sent out the spies, and when they came back, they reported that there were giants in the land, and we were like grasshoppers. You remember that thought? Remember that scripture? And they fear, and there was only two of them that gave a good report Joshua and Caleb. And But notice what it says here. He came and he cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron to Ber, and from Anab, from all the mountains of, of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly cut them off with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only, now look at this, they remained only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. You know what that is? 
That's the stuff that you fail to deal with in your own life. You're leaving for your children and your children's children. Because guess who would fight one day with one of those sons of Anak from Gath, a man by the name of Goliath? Why? Because Joshua didn't fully deal with the enemies that were in the land. And I'm going to suggest to you that the things that you tolerate in your life, your children will face head on. You see, this is what the Bible calls generational sin. And that happens in two ways. It happens in just the atmosphere you grow up in, but it also happens in the attitude that you possess. You might try to shelter your kids from all your bad stuff, but your bad stuff cannot be sheltered from them. It will find its way into their life. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to break those things. You know, the Bible says that, that there, are a, there are besetting sins. What is that? Well, that's a sin that always trips us up. Anybody got a sin that always trips you up? Like to have a little, little testimony time right now and stand up and say, yeah, I'd like to just share my deepest, darkest trip-up sin today. When I was in seminary, I taught at, a, at another seminary, and a guy got up and he said, uh, uh, from the South, and he, he said, you know, God has a 16-millimeter film of your life. And on Judgment Day, he's going to show it. And ain't going to be no popcorn on that day. <laughs> but what if, what if we could get a better handle on our stuff? What if you could look at that besetting sin, that thing that trips you up often, and say, you know what, I, I'm going to improve in that area. Even if you could, if you could, if you could improve 10% in that area, every year until it was done out of your life. You see, because uh, the, the things we deal with today, they will get bigger tomorrow if we don't fully deal with them. And that's what happened here in Gaza. Do you, anybody know anything about what's happening in Gaza over the last 20 years? It's the hottest, most conflicted part of the Middle East. 70% unemployment in that area Tunnels that run from Egypt that run guns back and forth. Constant missile attack going back and forth between Israel and Gaza. Why? Because Joshua didn't deal with the sons of Anak. You see, now think about this. We're going back hundreds, thousands of years, and the problem still persists. Did you ever stop to think that some of the stuff you're dealing with now, your relatives failed to deal with? That's kind of alarming, isn't it? They found now that DNA actually carries memory. You ever had a deja vu moment? You go like, I feel like I've been here before. You know, and, and sometimes it's really not real, but you just kind of feel like there's something that kind of, and, and what they found out in research is that there's some connection with our DNA that travels our family line, and it brings little, just little boxcars of information to our, to our conscious mind, and we go like, I, I don't, I just, this feels familiar. Now, obviously, the research is so light on this, we don't know much more than that, but it's really interesting when you begin to look at these things and you look at the enemies of our life. You see, when Jesus came and he died on a cross, guess what he died for? He died for your sins in the past. Good news, can you say amen to that? Right? He died for your sins in the present. And he died for your sins in the future. 
See, he died to all that, and the blood of Christ continually cleanses you from all sin. That's why you don't go to hell every time you sin. You know why? Because the blood of Christ is continually cleansing you. You're, you're standing before God is good. So why do I confess? I agree with God that my life is not perfect. But I don't confess in order to get saved all over again. You see the difference? See, that's what keeps us from being condemned. You know that, that uh, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know who's, make, who's making your life miserable in part? It's the enemy who's saying, you're not worthy, you're not guilty, you're guilty, you, you know that God doesn't love you, you know, you know, you know. And when you feel that, that is the accusation that comes from the enemy. But guess who is our advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. And every time there's an accusation, he says, no, that's under the blood. What about that? No, that's under the blood. That's under the blood. That means that it's cleansed and forgiven by God. What he wants us to do is keep a short account so that we're always walking in the sweetest fellowship we can with God. And why? Because that brings the favor of God, that brings the direction and the wisdom of God in our life. Now, the undefeated enemies become strongholds. That's what happened in Gaza. That's what happened in Ashdod. That's what happened in, in Gath. It, they become strongholds. Let me read to you from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, now that just means we're human, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, the battles you face in life, while they may feel like they're natural and physical and of the flesh, they're actually spiritual. We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now remember that he's writing to Christians, a church in Corinth, and he says, you can have a spiritual stronghold. You say, what is that? Well, that's something that trips you up and keeps you from experiencing the freedom that God wants you to experience in life. Let me, let me just give you an illustration like this. Suppose that that, uh, you know, you were hired to build a tower, a brick tower. It was roughly six feet across. And uh, you weren't very good at it, but they put all the bricks there, and you began to learn how to do it, and, and, and it got above your head, and you began to, to put the, uh, you know, the cement on the brick, and you could throw it up there, and, and next thing you know, you had a tower that was 12 feet high. You sat down to enjoy your work, and it all, all the cement set up, and now the tower was a fortress, and you realize you're trapped inside and not on the outside. And what do you do? You say, well, I'm going to just push it down. It's too late. It's set up. It's been there too long. Well, then you try to say, well, I can think I can climb this. And you find out that you had done such a good job in putting the cement in there, leaving no, no bricks exposed that you couldn't even get a toe in there. And then you put your feet on one end, your hands on the other, and you start going up, and you got about five feet, and you gave out and dropped to the ground. And then what did you do? You started yelling, help, help, somebody get me out of this stronghold, this tower, this fortress. But nobody can hear you because you've done such a good job building it so high that the sound doesn't even penetrate. The only way you're getting out is for someone bigger than you, stronger than you, to either lift you out or break that tower down. That's a situation of a Christian who has a stronghold in their life. You can't get out without divine power. Look what he says. Pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now, I want you to note there's, there's several words here that all relate back to your mind. Imagination, knowledge, and thought. 
Let me show you. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge, there's a second word, of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So where is the real battlefield? It's in your mind. Remember we said mind, will, and emotions. So he says, look, if you've got a stronghold, that is, you've got that sin that trips you up, you've got that besetting sin, it's always seemed like, I just wish I could get victory over that one, right? And in some ways, you know, it may be something that you have to battle your whole life. But if you know how to win the battle on a daily basis, you can be successful on a daily basis, amen? So look what he says. I'm gonna pull down strongholds. I have to do what? I have to cast down imaginations. You ever think about stuff you shouldn't? Guys, we're going to do a men's retreat in the fall. We are. We've already got it in the calendar at Hume Lake. Why? Guys are messed up. We didn't know that until just recently, and then we we had confirmation from a lot of wives uh, that, yeah, my husband's messed up. Could you do a retreat? So we're going to do that. But what is it? You see our mind, our imagination, all right? And then what about knowledge? What, what's your knowledge? What's your knowledge of the Word of God? If you're, not, if you're not putting the Word of God into your mind, guess what? There's other stuff in your mind that's controlling your future, controlling your destiny. And then how about bring every thought into captivity? My wife says to me sometimes, what are you thinking about? I said, nothing. She said, that's impossible. I said, no, I do it all day long. And men understand this. Women are confused by it. It's the same confusion that happens when, you know, when your wife wants to talk and you have nothing to say. You, you really want to talk, but I have nothing to say. And she's, how was your day? Great. That was the end. That was, that was all I had. I say, how was your day? And she goes on for like 20 minutes. How was your day? Yeah, it was really good too. These are just the difference between men and women. I don't know if you knew that. There is a difference. I like to go on record as saying I'm a biological male. I never thought that would have to be announced. Uh, we've got a, a, a Supreme Court uh, nominee who, when asked, uh, you know, what is a woman, she said, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. And I thought, well, just bring a 17-year-old boy and he can tell you what a woman is. Um, Right now, we're in a a war. Disney has declared war on the family and on children. It is now the wokest place on earth. And I remind you that all that glitters is not gold. Uh, I don't know if you've watched this. I I was just actually texting with our managing editor for American Faith, this morning from Ukraine, and I said, I think we need to run a series of articles all week long, multiple articles on Disney and an expose what's going on there. Because I'm telling you right now, there is a war for your children. And they are seeking to destroy not only their little minds and their innocence, but they're also seeking to take the sovereignty away from the parent. This is the agenda. This is what's going on in our world. And, you know, you say, well, I think, don't you think you're pushing it too far? Watch the videos that was leaked from Disney and ask me if I'm going too far. They will no longer be saying boys and girls, gentlemen and ladies, that's gone. Half their characters will now be gay. What's going on? 
an attack. It's a war. You have in your power the ability to make a difference. On April 5th, you can go to Let Us Worship with Sean Foyt. We just had an event here yesterday. They're going to be doing a protest rally down at the headquarters uh, in L.A., and you can go down there, be a part of that you want. But remember, everything you do is building up and helping somebody's kids. That's what we have to do. Um, We've got a slide here from uh, the gala coming up. We have a gala next uh, Sunday night with Dennis Prager. And uh, here's a video just kind of give you a little summary of what we did last year. And it's, uh, it's a great event. If you weren't here last year, you're going to want to be here this year. If you were there last year, you're going to want to be back. Uh, Dennis is, uh, is just a, a great spokesman. His, he is the most watched or listened to conservative uh, in the world. 1.5 billion of his videos have been watched. And to hear, uh, to hear his perspective and to hear the challenge from him, we want you to be a part of it. It is a, is a great night. It's a night where, ladies, you can actually get your husbands or your boyfriends to dress up. It's a challenge. And men are pretty content. But here's why we're doing it. We're doing it because America matters. I was sitting in a room with, with uh, Jurgen from uh, Matthias from down in San Diego, uh, Rob McCoy from up north in, in Calvary Chapel up there, uh, Pastor Che from uh, Harvest Rock. The, we, we were all speakers on this. Uh, Robert T. Jones, the actor, and uh, that, that was who was at our event. We were sitting around talking, and, and uh, Rob made the comment. He said, you know, we're all a little bit theologically different, but not so different that we can't get along. But if we spend our time arguing theology, we'll all be doing it from jail. There's an unfaced enemy we we have as well. Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 through 33. Let me take you back to the passage I referred to. Here's what they said. They came back to give a report to Moses. Remember, Joshua and Caleb, and there were 10 other spies, so 12 in total, they came out, and they said, we are not able to go up against the people. Have you ever said that in life? You go, well, like, what are we going to do? We're battling, like, mega corporations. We're, we're big pharma, big tech, all of that stuff. Never underestimate the determination of one believer in Christ. Never underestimate yourself. Never underestimate the difference you can make. I'm telling you what, when loud voices start uh, speaking, people do listen. But here's what they said. We're not able, for they are stronger than we. And they gave their children, uh, the children of Israel, a bad report of the land, saying, we spied it out. The land through, the, through which we have gone, uh, spies, is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, what does that mean? That means you can't even survive in this land, Right? And all the people who we saw are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You know what they're saying? Who am I to make a difference in this world? Can I just build you up for a moment? You, you have everything you need to win the battles of life. The great, the great movements of God, the great changes that have happened in society haven't happened because the majority thought it was a good idea and worked hard at it. It was because one person ignited a fire and it began to ignite a fire all across the land. I was just reading this morning about the founder of the YMCA and how he had John chapter 17 on the original logo. 
the Red Cross started by Christians. Every major, uh, every uh, every Ivy League sto- uh, college and university on the East Coast started by Christians. You see, it was always been Christians who stood in the gap. It was Christians who stopped slavery in America and in Great Britain. You see, we have to realize we have the power and the authority of Almighty God if we will just persevere, if we will just get in our heart what God can do with us, you'd be surprised what God can do with you, amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, don't be surprised if I make a difference in this world. Now, I hope you meant it. I hope you meant it. What do we do with the unfaced enemy? Sometimes we just ignore the enemy. Have you ever noticed that? I don't want to deal with it. You know, my world's pretty good. I'm living in Orange County. My biggest challenge is it might rain this year. And the politics haven't affected me too much. And I don't drive that much, or I have an electric car, so what's my big challenge? I'm doing good. You know, there's a scripture where Jesus said, to the rich man. He said, I have need of nothing. Maybe I'll build another barn. Because I've got so much wealth. I've got so much going for me. Why would I worry about life? And you know what the scripture says? God came to him and said, you fool. You fool. Do you not know that a man that can gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What is that man going to get in exchange What would you give in exchange for your
just a weak prayer. It doesn't have to be a strong prayer. Think what a strong prayer can do. The Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails what? Much. Guess what? Weak prayer of a weak Christian avails too. Start praying. Start believing. Lean into it. Lean into the power of God. You know, the most, the most selfless thing you can do is pray because you don't get any credit for it. You teach a class, hey, he's a good teacher. Serve the door, hey, I thank you for serving. How about praying? When you pray, you enter into that chamber of God in the secret place of the Most High God, and you touch eternity, and you change lives for the kingdom of God. So pray. Even a weak prayer works. I'd like you to pray strong ones, but pray weak ones. Pray any prayer you can. Just pray. Amen? All right, let's stand together. I want you right now just to commit your life right now unto God. Just say, God, I want to commit my life to you. Can you just say that out loud? I want to commit my life unto you, God. Empower me with your spirit. Make me a warrior for God. You said that the impossible becomes possible. God, I want to be that person. I want to be that man or that woman, that boy or the girl that stands in the gap and prays into and leans into the kingdom of God and then puts activity behind my prayers. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're willing to do that, would you just raise your hand to say, I'm going to do that. I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it my best shot for the glory of Almighty God. And then take the resources you have. That's your mind. Take your financial resources. Take your energy, your talent. Take all of those things. Say, I'm going to find a way to push forward the kingdom of Almighty God. Because guess what? I don't know whether I've got one year or 100 years left, but I want to use them for the glory of Almighty God. Amen and amen.